and get you boosted. Welcome to Political Pill. This is Victor Rambo. You're joining me in with President Biden marks the end of first year in office with the White House News Conference. This is President Biden talking. Sounds like he's repeating the same thing, though. On top of that, the vaccines are working. Why aren't they working? If masks are working, why aren't they working? And be delivered to your home for free. Just visit covidtest.gov know how to get that free test kit to your home. In addition, there are 20,000 sites where you can get tested in person for free now. And now we have more treatments that people can, for people to keep people out of the hospital than any other point in the pandemic, including life-saving antiviral pills. Oh, it's talking about treatments now, huh? These new Pfizer pills. More than any country in the world. Two years late. And bottom line on COVID-19 is that we're in a better place than we've been and have been thus far. Clearly better than the year. We're not going to back. Uh, we're not going back to lockdown. We're not going back to closing schools. Numbers are changing. <laughs> because the American Rescue Plan, we provided to states $130 billion. $130 billion to keep our students and educators safe schools open, funding for ventilation systems in schools, social distancing, hygiene for classrooms and school buses. In addition, we've added another $10 billion for COVID-19 tests to be able to be administered in schools. Many states and school districts have spent this money very well. Unfortunately, some haven't. I encourage the states and school districts that use the funding to protect our children, to keep our schools open, use COVID-19 is not going to give up and accept things, uh, you know, and it's just, it's, it's not going to go away immediately. But I'm not going to give up and accept things as they are now. Some people may call what's happening now a new normal. I call it a job not yet finished. It will get better. We're moving toward a time when COVID-19 won't disrupt our daily lives. Constantly reading. COVID-19 won't be a crisis something to protect against and a threat. Look, we're not there yet, but we will get there. Now, the second challenge we're facing are prices. COVID-19 has created a lot of economic complications, including rapid price increases across the world economy. People see it at the gas pump, the grocery stores, and elsewhere. So you can blame everything on COVID now. Critical job in making sure that the elevated prices don't become entrenched rests with the Federal Reserve, which has a dual mandate, full employment and stable prices. The Federal Reserve provided extraordinary support during the crisis for the previous year and a half. Given the strength of our economy and the pace of recent price increases, it's appropriate, as the Federal Chairman, Chairman Powell, the Fed Chairman Powell has indicated, to recalibrate the support that is now necessary. I respect the Fed's, the Fed's independence, and I've nominated five superb individuals to serve on the Federal Board of Government, men and women, from a variety of ideological perspectives. They're eminently qualified, historically diverse, and have earned bipartisan praise. I call on the United States Senate to confirm them without any further delay. And here at the White House, and for my friends in Congress, 
best thing to tackle high prices is a more productive economy with greater capacity to deliver goods and services to the American people. And a growing economy where folks have more choices and more small businesses compete and where more goods can get to market faster and cheaper. I've laid out Duh. a three-part plan to do just that. First, fix the supply chain. COVID-19 has had a global impact on the economy. When a factory shuts down in one part of the world, shipments to shops and homes and businesses all over the world are disrupted. COVID-19 has compounded that many times over. A couple of months ago, in this very room, we talked and we heard dire warnings about how the supply chain problems could create real crisis around the holidays. So we acted. We brought together business and labor. And that much predicted crisis did not occur. 99% of the packages were delivered on time, and shelves were stocked. And notwithstanding the recent storms that have impacted many parts of our country, the share of goods in stock at stores is 89% now, which has barely changed from the 91% before the pandemic. I often see empty shelves being shown on television. 89% are full only a few points below what it was before the pandemic. But our work's not done. Our infrastructure law will supercharge your effort upgrading everything from roads and bridges to ports and airports, railways and transit, to make the economy move faster and reduce prices for families. Second thing, my Build Back Better plan will address the biggest cost of working families face every day. No other plan will do more to lower the cost for American families. It cuts the cost of, for child care. Many families, including the people sitting in this room, if they have children and they're working full time, many families pay up to $14,000 a year for child care in big cities, less than that in smaller ones. My plan cuts that in half. That will not only be a game changer for so many families' budgets, but it will mean so much for nearly 2 million women who women who left the workforce during the pandemic because of things like child care. My Build Back Better plan cuts the price of prescription drugs, so insulin, that today costs some people as much as $1,000 a month, will cost no more than $35. It cuts the cost of elder care, lowers energy costs, and it will do all this without raising a single penny in taxes on people making under $400,000 a year or raising the deficit. In fact, my plan cuts the deficit, boosts the economy by getting more people into the workforce. What's the percentage of people That's making over $400,000 a year? Prize winners for economics. Give me a break. Say it will ease long-term inflationary pressure. Bottom line, if price increases are what you're worried about, the best answer is my Build Back Better plan. Third thing we're going to do, promote competition. Look, in too many industries, a handful of giant companies dominate the market in sectors like meat processing, railroad shipping, and other areas. This isn't a new issue. It's not been the reason we've had high inflation today. It's not the only reason. It's been happening for a decade. But over time, it has reduced competition, squeezed out small businesses and farmers, ranchers, and increased the price for consumers. We end up with an industry like the meat processing industry, where four big companies dominate the market. 
pay ranchers less for their cattle they grow, charge consumers more for beef, hamburger meat, whatever they're buying. Prices are up. Look, I'm a capitalist. Capitalism without competition is not capitalism. It's exploitation. You are not a capitalist. I signed an executive order to tackle unfair competition in our economy. We're going to continue to enforce it, along with working with Congress where we can. I'll close with this. Close? We have faced some of the biggest challenges that we've ever faced in this country these past few years. Challenges to our public health. Challenges to our economy. But we're getting through it. And not only are we getting through it, we're laying the foundation for future, where America wins the 21st century by creating jobs at a record pace. Now we need to get inflation under control. We have developed ex an extraordinarily effective booster shots and antiviral pills. Now we need to finish the job to get COVID-19 under control. I've long said it's never been a good bet to bet against the American people. America. I believe that more than ever. We've seen the grit and determination of the American people this past year. The best days of this country are still ahead of us, not behind us. I'm happy to take questions. Happy to take questions, huh? Yes. Joe. Thank you, Mr. President. I know some of my colleagues will get into some specific issues, but I wanted to zoom out on your first year in office. Inflation is up. Uh, your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the Senate, uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day. And the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago. Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office? And how do you plan to course correct going forward? Are you such an optimist? Look, I didn't overpromise. And what I have probably... Uh, uh, I'll perform what anybody thought would happen. Huh. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made enormous progress. You mentioned the number of deaths from COVID. Well, it was uh, three times that, not long ago. It's coming down. Everything's changing. It's getting better. Look, um, I didn't overpromise, but I think if you take a look at what we've been able to do, You'd have to acknowledge we made enormous progress. But one of the things that I think is something that, uh, one thing I haven't been able to do is get my Republican friends to get in the game and making things better in this country. For example, I was reading the other day, and I, had, I wrote the quote down, so I don't misquote it. <coughs> a quote from Senator Sununu, when he decided that he wasn't going, excuse me, Governor Sununu, when he decided he wasn't going to run for the Senate in New Hampshire. He said, He's not reading. They were all, for the most part, they were all, for the most part, content with the speed at which they weren't doing anything. Well, he just he happened to have the quote available for the question. Hold the line for two years. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to roadblock for the next two years? That's not what I do, Sununu said. He went on to say, It bothered me. He just happened well, to have that quote. Okay with that. And he was on to say, I said, okay, so we're not going to get stuff done if we win the White House back, if we win the White House back. Why didn't we do anything in 2017 and 2018? And then he said, how the Republican Sununu spoke to answer the challenge? He said, crickets, yeah, crickets. 
they had no answer. I did not anticipate that there would be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. Think about this. What are Republicans for? Staged. What are they for? They mean one thing they're for. And so the problem <laughs> here is that I think what happens, what I have to do in the, in the change in, in the tactic, if you will, I have to make clear to the American people what we are for. We passed a lot. We passed a lot of things that people don't even understand what's all that's in it, understanding it. Remember when we passed the Affordable Care Act and everybody thought that, uh, you know, it really was getting pummeled and beaten and it wasn't until after we're out of office in that next campaign, uh, that off-year campaign, and uh, I went into a whole, I wasn't in office anymore, we went into a whole bunch of districts campaigning for Democrats and Republican districts who said they wanted to do away with, with uh, health care, with Obamacare. And I started pointing out that if you did that, pre-existing conditions would no longer be covered. And he said, huh? We didn't know that. We didn't know that. And guess what? We won for 38 seats because we had explained to the people exactly what and one of the things that I remember saying, and Sleepy I, Joe. I remember saying to President Obama when he passed the Affordable Care Act, I said, you ought to take a victory lap. And he said, there's so many things going on, we don't have time to take a victory lap. As a consequence, no one knew what the detail of the legislation was. They don't know a lot of the detail of what we passed. So the difference is, I'm going to be out on the road a lot, making the case around the country with my colleagues who are up for re-election and others, making the case of what we did do and what we want to do, what we need to do. And so I don't think I've overpromised at all, and I'm going to stay on this track. You know, one of the things that... Uh, Come on, man, to the next question, was, man. Uh, I was talking with, uh, you know, uh, Jim Clyburn, who was a great help to me in the campaign in South Carolina. And Jim said, and when he endorsed me, and there was a clip on television the last couple of days of Jim, and it said that we want to make things accessible and affordable for all Americans. That's health care. That's education. That's socialism. Drugs. That's making sure you have access, access to all the things that everybody else has. We can afford to do that. We can afford we can't afford not to do it. So I tell my Republican friends, here I come. This is going to be about what are you... It's not capitalism. We don't need the government for that. And I'll lay out what we're for. Um, uh, Mary Bruce, uh, ABC. Oh, he's calling names out now. You mentioned your Republican colleagues, but right now your top two legislative <laughs> priorities, your social spending package so and voting rights legislation are stalled, blocked by your own party after months of negotiation. You are only guaranteed control of Washington for one more year before the midterms. Do you need to be more realistic and scale down these priorities in order to get something passed? No, I don't think so. When you say more realistic, I think it's extremely realistic to say to people, because let me back up. You all have to be so really obvious about the questions being uh, staged. Networks and others who spend a lot of time that you do, polling this data, determining where the, what the American people's attitudes are, etc. 
American people overwhelmingly agree with me on prescription drugs. They overwhelmingly agree with me on the cost of education. They overwhelmingly agree with me on early education. They overwhelmingly go on the list on, on, on child care. And so we just have to make the case of what we're for and what the other team's not for. Look, we knew all along that a lot of this was going to be an uphill fight. And one of the ways to do this is to make sure we make the contrast as clear as we can. And one of the things that I think is we're going to have to do is just make the case. I don't think there's anything unrealistic about what we're asking. I'm not trying to, I'm not asking for castles in the sky. I'm asking for practical things the American people have been asking for for a long time. And you've been in... And you've been in uh, politics for a long time. We're not going to scale down any of these priorities. But so far, that strategy isn't working. You haven't been able to get some of these big legislative ticket well, items done. I got two done. real big ones done, bigger than any president has ever gotten in the first year. But currently, Mr. President, <laughs> your spending package, voting rights legislation, they're not going anywhere. So That's true. Is there anything that you are confident you can get signed into law before the midterm election? Yes, I'm confident we can get... Uh, pieces, big chunks of the uh, Build Back Better law signed in law. And I'm confident that we can take the case to the American people that the people they should be voting for who are going to oversee whether the elections, in fact, are legit or not, should not be those who are being put up by the Republicans to, de to determine that they're going to be able to change the outcome of the election. So whether or not we can actually get election. And by the way, I haven't given up. We haven't finished the vote yet on what's going on on, on the uh, voting rights and the John Lewis bill and others. But uh, um, so, look, this is, I, I, I've been engaged a long time in public policy. No doubt. And I don't know many things got nothing done. that have been done in one fell swoop. Um, and so I think the, bet, the most important thing to do is try to inform, not educate, inform the public of what's at stake Once again. in stark terms and let them make judgments and let them know who's for them and who's against them, who's there and who's not there, and make that the case. And that's what I'm going to be spending my time doing in this offering election. You mentioned Republicans and reaching out to them. Some Republicans who may be open to major changes on voting rights, for instance, like Mitt Romney, he says he never even received a phone call from this White House. Why well, not? I like Mitt Look, Mitt Romney's a straight guy. He's a... Uh, and one of the things that we're doing, I was trying to make sure... What is the opposite of straight? The page uh -huh. my party on this school. And I didn't call many Republicans uh, at all. The fact is that um, I, I do think that Mitt is a serious guy. I think we can get things done. I think I, I predict you to get something done on the electoral reform side of this. But um, rather than judge what's going to get done and not get done, all I can say is I'm going to continue to make the case why it's so important to not turn the electoral process over to political persons who are set up deliberately to change the outcome. What? Um, the uh, uh, Allison Harris. Allison Harris. She out there? Please. Thank you, Mr. President. I have a question Speaking already here. Speaking of voting here. rights legislation, if this isn't passed, do you still believe the upcoming election will be fairly conducted and its results will be legitimate. He's switching the papers. Well, it all depends on <laughs> whether or not 
He moved the paper over to her question. Make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. And it's one thing, look, maybe I'm just being too much of an optimist. Remember how we thought not that many people were going to show up to vote in the middle of the pandemic? Highest voter turnout in the history of the United States. The one that you stole? Well, um, I think if, in fact, no matter how hard they make it for minorities to vote, I think you're going to see them willing to stand in line and, and defy the attempt to keep them from being able to vote. I think you're going to see the people who try to keep from being able to show up, showing up and making the sacrifice that needs to be made in order to change the law back to what it should be. So they don't vote you um, out and, of uh, office. It's going to be difficult. I, I, I make no bones about that. It's going to be difficult. But we're not there yet. We've not Crazy. run out of options yet. We'll see how this works. And on Omicron and education, teachers are in, result in, so, in revolt in so many places. Parents are at odds over closing schools and remote learning. You say we're not going to go back to closing schools. You said that just moments ago. Uh, yet they're closing in some areas. What do you say to those teachers and principals and parents about school closings? And what can your administration do to help make up for learning loss for students? First of all, I put in perspective <laughs> the question you asked. Well, I tell you, these people think the federal government. Schools are closing. Over 95% are still open. So you all phrase the questions when people, I don't think it's deliberate on your part, but you phrase the question when anybody watches this on television, my God, there must be, all those schools must be closing. What are we going to do? 95% are still open, number one. Number two, the idea that parents don't think it's important for their children to be in school, and teachers know it as well, that's why we made sure that we had the ability to the funding through the Recovery Act, through the act that we, the, the first act we passed, to be able to make sure schools were able to be safe. So we have new ventilation systems available for them. We have the way they handle, they scrub down laboratories, and I mean the laboratories kids go to to go to the bathroom, uh, cafeterias, buses, etc. All that money's there. Billions of dollars made available. It's there. Uh, not every school district. Has so housekeepers got a raise, huh? But it's there, and so in addition to that, there is now another ten billion dollars for testing of students in the schools. So I, I think as time goes on, it's much more likely you're going to see that number go back up from ninety-five percent back up to ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent. But the the outfit. The individuals of the district that says we're not going to be open is always going to get, and I'm not being critical of any of you, it's always going to get front page. It's always going to be the top of the news. Let's put it in perspective. 95, as high as 98% of the schools in America are open, functioning, and capable of doing the job. Um, Who's next? Uh, how about uh, uh, Jan Epstein? Jan Epstein. Thank you. Uh, your top foreign policy advisors have warned that Russia is now ready to attack Ukraine, but there's still little unity among European allies about what a package of sanctions against Moscow would look like. If the U.S. and NATO aren't willing to put troops on the line to defend Ukraine and American allies can't agree on a sanctions package, hasn't the U.S. and the West 
lost nearly all of its blood. blood She's reading from something too. And uh, given how ineffective sanctions have been in deterring Putin in the past, why should the threat of new sanctions give him pause? Well, because he's never seen sanctions like the ones I've oh My goodness, man. Did they rehearse this before he get today, before he came Number out? Two, we're in a situation where uh, Vladimir Putin uh, is about to. Uh, we've had very frank discussions, uh, Vladimir Putin and I. And, uh, People, they are staging the a government in front of us. Be united. I don't buy. I've spoken to every major NATO leader. We've had the NATO Russian summit. The OSCE is met, etc. And so I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having to fight about what to do and not do, etc. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force of mass on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia if they further invade you invade Ukraine, and that our allies and partners are ready to impose severe costs and significant harm on Russia and the Russian economy. And, you know, we're going to fortify our NATO allies, I told them, on the eastern flank, if in fact he does invade. We're going to, I've already shipped over $600 million worth of sophisticated equipment, defensive equipment, to the Ukrainians. The cost of going into Ukraine in terms of physical loss of life for the Russians, and they'll, they'll be able to prevail over time, but it's going to be heavy. It's going to be real. It's going to be consequential. In addition to that, Putin has a, you know, has a, a stark choice, uh, either de-escalation or diplomacy, a confrontation with the consequences. Look, I think you're going to see, for example, Everybody talks about how Russia has control over the, uh, the energy supply uh, that Europe absorbs. Well, guess what? That, 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 that money that they earn from that makes about 45% of the economy. I don't see that as a one-way street. They go ahead and cut it off. It's like my mother used to say, you're biting your nose off to spite your face. It's not like they have all these wonderful choices. I spoke with the Prime Minister of Finland. And, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, uh, concern on the part of Finland and Sweden about what Russia is doing. The last thing that, that, that Russia needs is Finland deciding to change its status. They didn't say they're going to do that. But they're talking about what, in fact, is going on and how outrageous Russia is being. We're finding ourselves in a position where I believe you'll see that uh, there will be severe economic consequences. For example, anything that involves dollar denominations, if they make a, if they invade, they're going to pay. They're not going, their banks will not be able to deal in dollars. So there's a lot's going to happen. But here's the thing. What is My the conversation thing? conversation with Putin, and we've been, uh, we say it, we have no problem understanding one another. He has no problem understanding me, nor me, him. And in the direct conversations where I pointed out, I said, you know, You've uh, occupied before other countries, but the price has been extremely high. How long? You can win and over time at great loss and economic loss when and occupy Ukraine. But how many years? One, three, five, ten? What, what is that going to take? What toll does that take? It's real. It's consequential. 
this is not all just a cakewalk for Russia. Militarily, they have overwhelming superiority and on, on, as a relation to Ukraine. But they'll pay a stiff price immediately, near term, medium term, and long term if they do. Um, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, okay, yeah, you went too far. You're sorry. David Sanger, New York Times. David Sanger, New York Times. Thank you, Mr. President. I wanted to follow up on your answer there uh, about Russia and Ukraine. When you were in uh, Geneva in June, uh, you said to us uh, about President Putin, I think the last thing he wants now is a Cold War. Now, since then, of course, you've seen him gather these troops, 100,000 troops around Ukraine. The Secretary of State said today he thought he could invade it at any moment. You've seen the cyber attack. Softball questions. Uh, and you've seen the demand that he have a sphere of influence in which you would withdraw all American troops and nuclear weapons from what used to be the Soviet bloc. So I'm wondering if you still think that the last thing he wants is a Cold War. And has your view of him changed in the past uh, few months? Yeah, you're talking about And if Putin. it has... And he doesn't, Dave. Would your posture be to really move back Believe to the kind of containment policy that you saw so often when you were still in the Senate? The answer is that uh, I think he still does not. I know it's hard to suffer through this, but uh, people just need to hear it. Do I think he'll test the West, test the United States and NATO as, as significantly as he can? Yes, I think he will. But I think he'll pay a serious and dear price for it that he doesn't think now will cost him what it's going to cost him. And I think he'll regret having done it. Now, whether or not, uh, I think that. Uh, Come on, Sleepy Joe. Can I say this? I think that he is dealing with what I believe he thinks is the most tragic thing that's happened to Mother Russia, in that Berlin Wall came down, the empire has been lost, the near abroad has gone, etc. The Soviet Union has been split. Um, but think about what he has. He has eight time zones, burning tundra that will not freeze again naturally situation where he has a lot of oil and gas, but he is trying to find his place in the world between China and the West. And so I'm not so sure that he has... Goodness. He lost it. He lost it. David, I'm not so sure he has certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. And by the way, what? I've indicated to him. The two things he said to me that he wants guarantees them. One is Ukraine will never be part of NATO. And two, that NATO, or the, there will not be strategic weapons stationed in Ukraine. We can work out something on the second piece, depending on what he does along the Russian line as well, Russian border, the European area. And the first piece, we have a number of treaties internationally and in Europe that suggest that you get to choose who you want to be with. But the likelihood that Ukraine is going to join NATO in the near term is not very likely. 
based on much more work they have to do in terms of democracy and a few other things. Come on, old man, Other get to it. Major allies of the West would vote to bring the Ukraine in right now. So there's room to work if he wants to do that. But I think, as usual, he's going to. I probably shouldn't go any Yeah, stop right there. Go to the next question, please. You're um, offering some way out here, some off ramp. And it sounds like what it is is at least an informal assurance that NATO is not going to uh, take in Ukraine any time in the next few decades. And it sounds like you're saying we would never oh, put nuclear he's weapons. He's going to translate out. for it. He also wants us to move all of our nuclear weapons out of Europe and not have oh. troops rotating through the old Soviet bloc. Do you think there's space for that there? No. No, there's not space. These guys are having a conversation. The idea we're not going to, we're going to actually increase troop presence in Poland, Romania, et cetera, if in fact he moves. Because we have a sacred obligation in Article 5 to defend this country, but they are part of NATO. We don't have that obligation to Ukraine, although we have some concern about that. Thank you. Oh. Um, Maureen, uh, USA Today. Maureen, USA Today. Thank you, Mr. President. I want to follow up on your comment on uh, Build Back Better and also ask you a question about the pandemic. You said that you're confident you can pass big chunks of Build Back Better this year. Does that wording mean that you are thinking about, you're looking at breaking the uh, package up into individual portions? And uh, then on the pandemic, now that the Supreme Court has blocked the vaccination or test rule for larger businesses, are you con reconsidering whether to require vaccines for domestic flights as a way to boost vaccination rates? You can't. Uh, no, look, uh, first of all, uh, on the last part of the question. The Supreme Court decision, I think, was a mistake, but you still see thousands oh. and thousands of people who work for major corporations. The Supreme Court the decision was a mistake. Hmm. The decision made by the corporation, not by the standard I set. I think you'll see that increase, not decrease. What was the first part of your question? Uh, on your, your comment that you made that you're confident yes. that major chunks of Build Back yes. Better can pass, are you breaking it up? Today? Yes. It, well, uh, it's clear to me that, uh, um, that we're going to have to probably break it up. Uh, I think that we can get, I've been talking to a number of my colleagues on the Hill, I think it's clear that we would be able to get support for the four to $500 plus billion dollars for uh, energy and the environment. Five hundred plus billion dollars. Uh, number two, uh, I know that uh, the two people who oppose on the Democratic side um, support a number of things that are in there. For example, Joe Manchin strongly supports early education, three and four years of age. Strongly supports um, Three or four years of support what? for, I think, a uh, number of the way in which to pay for these, uh, pay for this proposal. So I think there is, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to negotiate against myself as to what should and shouldn't be in it. But I think we can break the package up, get as much as we can now, and come back and fight for this. Huh. Unbelievable. Um, Who's next? Who's on the list? Ken, Wall Street Journal. Uh, thank you, Mr. President. I wanted to ask you about the economy. As you said earlier, Americans are feeling the squeeze of inflation. Uh, oil prices have, have 
been at about a seven-year high recently. How long should Americans expect to face higher prices when they're at the grocery store, when they're at the gas pump? Is this something that they're going to see into the summer, into next fall? And, and separately, you, you talk about the importance of the Fed, but isn't that an acknowledgment that you're limited in what you can do if, you, if, if, if you're relying on the Fed to make decisions and you're unable to get a Build Back Better proposal through? Aren't you simply limited in what you can do to deal with inflation? Well, look, hmm. as you know, Ken, um, oh. the inflation has everything to do with the supply chain. And uh, I think what you're seeing is that we've been able to make progress on speeding up the access to materials. For, for example, one-third of the, call of the increase in cost of living cost of automobiles. The reason automobiles have skyrocketed prices is because of lack of computer chips. So we have the capacity, and we're going to do everything in our power to do it, to become self-reliant on the computer chips that we need in order to be able to produce more automobiles. That's underway. We've already passed, within the context of another bill, uh, money for that in the, uh, in the House of Representatives, before the House of Representatives. But I think there's a way we can move to, if we can move to get, for example, that one thing done, it can make a big difference in terms of the cost of, total cost of living. Now, with regard to the um, whole issue of energy prices, um, that gets a little more complicated. But you saw what happened when I was able to convince everyone, including China, India, a number of other countries, to agree with us to go into their version of their petroleum reserve to release more into the market. Really? So that you cut a pipeline in the United States when you first got in office. Explain that one. There's going to be Nobody's a, asked that question. Whereas we was energy independent under President Donald Trump. Relative to what impact that's going to have on the producers. And so um, it's going to be hard. I think that's the place where most middle-class people, working-class people, get hit the most. Pull up to the pump, suddenly instead of paying two dollars and forty cents a gallon, paying really, you cut the pipeline. It's going to be really difficult. But so we're going to continue to work on people. Be crazy about this guy again. That are available, and I think there's ways in which we can be of some value in terms of price of gas, natural gas. God, are you trying? He's getting far, farther and farther away from the mic. Now, totally dependent on Russia, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard. But I think that we have to deal with. For example, like I said, you have a circumstance where people are paying more for a pound of hamburger meat than they ever paid. Well, one of the reasons for that is you don't have that many folks out there that are ones that are you got the big four controlling all. And so we're going to see more and more, we're going to move in this competition piece to allow more and more smaller operations to come in and be able to engage in providing, buying and providing the access to much cheaper uh, meat oh, than, uh, than exists now. But it's going to be a haul. Now, and as you, I assume the reason you said if I can't get built back better, it relates to what those... 17 Nobel laureate economists said that if, in fact, we could pass it, 
it would actually lower the impact on inflation, reduce inflation over time, et cetera. Five hundred so billion plus billion dollars will lower inflation. Easy, but I think we can get it done. It's going to pay people to get done. That's why the single best way, Good. the single best way to take the burden off middle class and working class folks is to pass the Build Back Better piece that are things that they're paying a lot of money for now. If you get to trade off higher gases, you're putting up a higher price of hamburgers and, and gas versus whether or not you're going to have to, you're going to be able to pay for uh, education and or um, uh, child care. This guy's destroying America, man. would make the trade, their bottom line would be better than middle class households. But it's going to be hard, and that's going to take a lot of Yeah, like trying to listen to you. Uh, sir, uh, you mentioned China. Do you think the time has come to begin lifting some of the tariffs on Chinese imports, or is there a need for China to, to make do on some of its commitments in the phase one agreement? Some business groups would like you to begin raising, uh, lifting up those uh, tariffs on China. Well, I know that, and that's why my trade rep is working on that right now. The answer is uncertain. It's uncertain. I'd like to be able to be in a position where I could say they're meeting the commitments, more of their commitments, and be able to lift some of them. But we're not there yet. Um, Nancy, uh, CBS. Nancy, Thank you so much, Mr. CBS. President. This afternoon, the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said that the midterm elections are going to be a report card on your progress on inflation, border security, and standing up to Russia. Do you think that that's a fair way to look at it? And if so, how do you think that report card looks right now? I think report cards look pretty good. That's what we're at. Look, the idea that uh, Mitch has been very clear. <laughs> He's do anything to prevent Biden from being a success. I, I, I get on with Mitch. I actually like Mitch McConnell. We like one another. He has one straightforward objective. Make sure that there's nothing I do that makes me look good in his mind, his mind, with the public at large. And that's okay. I'm a big boy. I've been here before. But the fact is and that, done nothing. that the... Uh, I'm happy to debate and have a referendum on how I handle the economy, whether or not I made progress on it. Look, again, taking too long answering your questions. Thank you. Yes, you are. I think that this, the fundamental question is, what's Mitch for? What's he for an immigration? What's he for? What's he proposing? Better. What's he for? Dealing with Russia. It's different than I'm proposing. And many of his Republican friends are. Uh, his yeah, why don't you set that up and we'll find out what he's for? What's How about that? What are they for? So everything's a choice. A choice. Look, I've laid out. These people are so vague. On immigration, that if we the concepts are in are infinity. We're not there because we don't have a single Republican vote. My buddy John McCain's gone. Oh, your buddy John McCain. It's it's just it's going to take time. And again, I go back to I I go back to Governor Sununu's quote. How long? I mean, rhetorical question. I don't. I know this is not fair. Ask the press. 
you think about it. Did you ever think that one man out of office could intimidate an entire party where they're unwilling to take any vote contrary to what he thinks should be taken for fear of being defeated in a primary? I've had five Republican senators. The world is he talking about, man? Bump into me, quote unquote. So, so purpose of the democratic process. They agree vote. With whatever I'm talking about, I'm going to do. But Joe, if I do it, I'm going to defeat it in the primary. We got to break that. Line sucker. It's got to change. And I doubt that all. Not be, sounds like I'm being solicitous. They're all bright as hell, well informed, more informed than any group of people in America. But did any of you think that you get to a point where not a single Republican would diverge on a major issue? No. Not one. Anyway. Those five Republican senators are? Sure. No, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, uh, I, I maintain confidentiality. But I'm rights. sure you've spoken to some. <laughs> On voting rights, sir, yes. at your first press conference 10 months ago, I asked you if there was anything you could do beyond legislation to protect voting rights. And at that time, you said yes, but I'm not going to lay out a strategy before you. And She's going to be the last question. Now, now uh, that legislation for this to program, be this podcast, hopelessly yeah. stalled, can you now lay out your strategy to protect voting rights? Well, I'm not prepared to do that in detail in terms of the executive orders I may be able to engage in and other things I can do. But one of the things we have, we have, we have significantly beefed up the number of enforcers in the Justice Department who are there to challenge the, these, these unconstitutional efforts, in our view, unconstitutional efforts on the part of the Republicans. Guys, thank you for listening to Political Appeal. I'm Victor Rambo. This... It took work to listen to this guy, but I believe we need to just hear, you know, look at this stage stuff and just at least see what, hear what's coming out of his mouth uh, to just try to stay up to what's going on with this administration. Um, so thanks for tuning in and um We'll be back again with whatever we can give you of political pill. Once again, thanks for listening. This is Victor Rambo. Until next time.